This episode of the MedSort Podcast is brought to you by Arena. Arena works with medical device manufacturers to help them bring their products to market quicker and more cost-effectively through their cloud product lifecycle management system. Arena's product lifecycle management system allows every participant throughout product development and commercialization to work together in a centralized system and effectively keep track of product designs, engineering changes, and associated product information to accelerate the design and delivery and ensure regulatory compliance of quality medical device products. You can find out more at arenasolutions.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MedTalk podcast, discussing the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm Ian Bolland, Acting Group Editor of MedTech Innovation and Medical Plastics News. And on this episode, I'm joined by Alan Foreman, CEO of BeSecure. Today we discuss how a project that started off with cyberplane identification has developed a diagnostic tool that can help tell you how well you are. The examples that we discuss include detecting heart conditions in patients recovering from COVID, amongst others. First of all, Alan, um, thank you for joining us on the uh, the MedTalk podcast. Uh, start with, if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and be secure. Sure. Thanks, Ian. Uh, thanks for inviting us. Um, I'm Alan Foreman, Chief Executive of Be Secure. Uh, I've been doing this for seven years. Uh, prior to that, I was in corporate life. I had a 20-year career in Accenture, where I ran their life sciences division, uh, and also I was cross-industry and innovation. So my interest in life is uh, technology in, in the medical sector, really. It always has been. So I stumbled across a little uh, uh, project seven years ago and decided to um, to start Be Secure. And uh, it is where it is now, uh, which we have 83 people in a technology lab, mostly in a technology lab in Belfast, Northern Ireland, uh, which I'm happy to explain, uh, with customers all over the world. So uh, that's that's the, the short excerpt of where we are as a company. I'm, I'm interested in the word that you used there. You stumbled across this project. I mean, it almost, yeah. o- almost gives the impression that this wasn't exactly by design, but by accident. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I was back home. Uh, you can hear by my accent from Northern Ireland. And uh, I, I was over there doing a little bit of work. And I, uh, at the same time, I'd been working with companies like Microsoft and Apple. And it was the month that Apple launched the iPhone 6. And the iPhone 6 uniquely had the first uh, biometric sensing technology on it. Uh, and almost overnight, Apple made biometrics popular. You know, biometrics have been around for a long, long time. Uh, they've been on laptops, and but just really didn't take off. And people were concerned about sharing personal data. Um, and I met a guy while I was over there, and he was talking about a project he'd shelved many, many years ago, whereby they had been working um, on identification of the human being uh, on the physical form factor of the EKG, rather than face, voice, iris, um, uh, or fingerprint actually looking at something inside the body, something that was less spoofable. So this kicked off as a cyber project, uh, maybe a new modality uh, for biometrics. 
Um, and then very quickly we realized we were getting an awful lot more rich data um, in, in doing uh, this than just identification. So yeah, it all started uh, from a cyber play, uh, but it, we are now fully life science and actually moved into the medical industry just recently. I mean, you probably already answered this, but I've got to follow up in terms of how does something go from identification like that to what is now, I imagine, a, a massive diagnostic tool? It's moving that way, uh, for sure, Ian. Um, well, the original premise was uh, when someone touches something, can we use the electrical signal to identify them? And the answer is yes. Uh, and if you think of all the things you're touching, whether it's the spectacles on your face, a card for access control or credit card, a car steering wheel, uh, the clothes that you're wearing, um, or indeed a smartwatch or a, a device. If you think of all of those products, that's how I set off on a biometric modality for identification. But true biometric is actually doing much more than that. So we have a, a biometric that tells who you are, but also how well you are. And, and it's that latter piece that really we now focus on because it's got such more opportunity and benefit for the world than just identification. So uh, that's why I've started to switch the business toward the medical side of things and diagnostic. Let's talk about that biometric that you mentioned, sure. which tells you how well you are, because I think it's actually pretty timely given the past few years that we've been through, because the, there's a, there's no real clarification on what people are getting sick with now following COVID, whether it's a long COVID condition or whatever. So how can what you provide help when, when it comes to identifying conditions related to the heart that may have been related to COVID? Sure. Um well, a lot of medical conditions are interrelated, okay? Uh, whether it be obesity uh, or overweight, uh, and ironically, post-COVID, uh, the stats in, in the UK alone are really shocking compared to pre-COVID. Um, that actually has a tendency to lead to other conditions, whether it be diabetes or even cancers. And all of this is quite interrelated. So it is very, very difficult to separate them out. Uh, however, we didn't go out to solve a problem of COVID. We went out to solve the problem of cardiovascular disease, uh, of which 18 million people die every year. Many more live with conditions um, uh, and suffer with conditions. And many more have conditions that are never diagnosed, uh, generally until it's too late. Uh, maybe a condition of a stroke occurs or a heart attack out of the blue. Um, and you just simply don't know. So the, the, the vast array uh, of what we've been focusing on is all about improving heart health. Uh, now, you do make a very interesting observation there about COVID. Yes, um, the numbers are settling in. The data is in that approximately a quarter of all people who have contracted COVID um, have developed arrhythmia. That doesn't mean to say it's a bad arrhythmia, uh, but have arrhythmia, which could lead to other uh, complications, uh, signs of stroke and so forth down the line. So um, there seems to be a body of evidence and it's very early days post-COVID to relate COVID to uh, putting something in around arrhythmia or other heart conditions. They don't have all the data yet. Uh, all we can say is of 18 million deaths pre-COVID, that number is only but rising. Okay, We don't have accurate numbers for 22 in yet. 
uh, obviously, and 21 uh, is not sure whether it was pure COVID, pure heart or other things. So that number is rising. It's a shocking number. Uh, the number of people in hospital beds just being monitored, uh, it's estimated in the UK, NHS, it's about a third. So we all know that capacity in our hospital system is um, at a premium right now, always has been. Uh, but imagine that people are in hospital simply to be monitored because the devices required to monitor them are in hospital environments. Imagine if you could take that capacity out, you could monitor them continuously in their home um, in a non-invasive way. That would free up an awful lot of um, the capacity of the health system. So uh, that was the angle we were going down around improving heart health for many outcomes uh, it just so happens COVID has really shone a light on this. Uh, it's an interesting that you mentioned the, the, the home elements there because it's coming up quite a lot that as, as technolo technology providers are developing more home care tech. Yeah. Uh, and basically to try and force upon a strategy change to in order to increase capacity. Can you give us a little bit of insight into the difference that uh, tech for the home is different from, from tech to the hospital. Because I know that we've all got our devices. Mm -hmm. um, we've all got a mobile device or a smartwatch or whatever. But and there'll, there'll be a role for them to play. But is there a difference in terms of the way you, as a tech developer, approach it? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and actually, this is, uh, I guess, our secret sauce. Um, so the gold standard today is uh, to get uh, a true diagnostic reading from your heart uh, which can diagnose all sorts of things heart rate heart rate variability arrhythmia tachycardia bradycardia vo2 max and so on and so forth is really a 12 lead wet electrode system in a hospital environment okay so uh, 12 leads are stuck onto your chest area um, and it, it it shows a 3d image essentially of your heart and how it's operating. That's the gold standard. Now, those machines are few and far between. They're extremely expensive. Uh, the patient goes in uh, for a, an ECG test. Sometimes that might last 10 minutes. Uh, and it's very rare to see in those 10 minutes what's truly happening across the course of your working week or your life, okay? Um, but you can only get that truly in a hospital environment on an expensive machine. Now, uh, a lot of people have been trying to fix and bring smaller devices, more uh, uh, cheap devices, I guess, to the outside world. And for example, if you take an Apple Watch, you can take an AFib reading on that. Um, well, the challenge from moving out of that hospital environment where you're sat very still and into the real world is what's called motion artifact it's electrical signal noise everywhere we are you have it in your home uh, we have it all around us and even if you actually go about your daily tasks of walking around that creates a problem for the signal so an ekg if you were to walk around with it generally um, not much of the data can be used um, and Another system that is used by doctors today is a thing called a halter monitor, which would be a device you would be sent home for use for maybe seven days, 14 days. And then the data is looked at. The first thing they have to do is weed out all the noisy data. Okay, so it's problematic and it doesn't make for a good 
uh, or live and continuous accurate reading of your ECG. What B-Secure has developed is an algorithm that cleans up that signal. And we're getting the algorithm cleaned from all types of devices up to 99.9% .9 or thereabouts. So today a halter monitor, maybe 10% of the data is useful. And when it is given back to the doctor, that goes away to a group of physiologists, expensive, highly trained folk who sit between five and 20 hours to decipher which is the good data from your recording and which is the bad data. And then they take the good data and make a diagnosis. So it's not ideal today's situation. Wind the clock forward. Imagine if you could get that medical grade ECG, but going about your everyday uh, work, that's where our signal conditioning technology comes in. And that's the, the heart, excuse the pun, of what we do. That is our software. And it improves everyone else's technology around there. Okay. Well, you, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a good pun. You know, I am an editor by trade. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you're speaking to the right person here. But I, I, I am fascinated by, by what you say in terms of the the the, the monitors that, that are currently in use where they have to weed out all the noisy signal. Mm. Whereas I imagine that yours takes at least that into account and it can therefore monitor the heart when it's at its most stressed, uh, so to speak. For example, any strenuous exercise. Mm -hmm. That that's exactly right. Um, well, the first thing is, even uh, when you're sitting still, could you do that in your home instead of that very stable hospital environment? And therefore, could you do it 24 hours a day? Uh, that's really crucial because um, there aren't that many recordings of heart attacks happening in that 10-minute visit to the hospital. Heart attacks happen during the middle of the night. They happen when you're doing strenuous exercise or when you've had maybe too much caffeine in your body or other events. It's typically not when you're in the hospital environment. So the first thing is to be able to monitor people continuously because then you know what the real, uh, you know, your real life situation looks like. It, it's somewhat fake to be sitting in a chair in a hospital environment to pretend that that's how we operate day in, day out, okay? So that continuous monitoring is really important. So you need something that's a little bit more mobile. Um, and secondly, to your point, yes, you do want to get it in those strenuous and stressed conditions. You also want to get it in the, the other calm conditions as well and when you're sleeping. And that doesn't fit well with a 12-lead wet electrode system. So how do we make something that's really, really convenient? B-Secure doesn't make hardware. Um, we... Our, our goal in life is to be the Intel inside of biosensing. So we're a software uh, partner to all of the hardware makers out there. Uh, so uh, medical companies that make implantables, that make patches, that make halter monitors, or the 12 lead wet electrode systems, we, can, we work with any of those guys to improve what they've got. Um, that means it's more accessible to be used in the home environment. Uh, on the other hand, we have this huge growth in companies that make smartwatches, the, the, the large um, uh, tech companies, whom are bringing out devices that are getting closer to medical grade. Uh, however, they face the issue of noise. It's a single lead. It's a dry electrode. It's at the end of your arm, which is quite difficult on, on that um, exterior to try and get a reading from. Um, the closer to the heart, the closer to the chest area you get, you get a much higher uh, voltage and, and reading. Um, so we've got to deal with all of that noise, and that's what B-Secure does. 
we are the we're the technology in the background that makes those devices able to be used in everyday environments continuously. And now for a brief message from our sponsor. PTC by itself, I mean, uh, is a Boston-based company. Uh, we are uh, leading uh, when it comes to a digital threat, uh, digitization, let's say. So uh, probably a lot of people know PTC from ProEngineer in the early days and now, now called Creo. And then PTC has a very broad portfolio now uh, across the, the value chain thinking from IoT solutions like Thingworks, AR solutions like Buforia, uh, PLM solutions like Windchill and, and now Arena, uh, and also CAD solutions, as I just mentioned, like Creo, but also a, a few SaaS-based CAD solution like, like Onshape. So very broad portfolios serving multiple markets, uh, including life science. That was a brief message from our sponsor, Arena, a PTC company. Now back to today's episode. So this is your vision of enabling technology to be used everywhere so it can be sh shared with anybody that, need, that it needs to be shared with. That's exactly right. Um, so it's the intel inside, whether you're a smartwatch today, whether you're a medical device, pure medical device um, today or tomorrow, and there's a new generation of uh, non-invasive devices coming through. Uh, implantables were the things of the past, but they're obviously invasive and, and difficult. Um, and then let me expand your mind further. Um, we're working with some tech companies that uh, famously make some devices that sit around your home uh, as speaker looking devices. And imagine in the morning you walk down and you touch that device and it gives you a medical reading right there. Uh, imagine when you get in your car, when you touch the steering wheel, that's collecting the data while you're driving. And the body acts in a very different way in all of these conditions, walking down the stairs in the morning versus driving on a motorway, etc. So you start to get medical readings from the heart around things like physiological stress, around fatigue, uh, around virus, all of which contribute to a data file for you that shows a lot more insights into the human being than simply heart rate, heart rate variability, arrhythmia, tachycardia, okay? So there's a huge, huge opportunity here in eventually for Internet of Things. As, as a company, um, we can only just focus on the consumer, tech companies, and the medical companies. And we're seeing a huge convergence in those two markets right now. Uh, we call it the, the medical consumer. And no longer is there a patient, but a medical consumer. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot of people who... Uh, can't go into hospital for whatever reason. Maybe you don't want to. Maybe there isn't capacity. And you have to start to take ownership or control of your own health by doing your own monitoring. And very, very soon, there's devices on the shelf that can do that um, at proper medical grade, hospital grade um, style. Not there yet, but when our technology is within those devices, they can do that for sure. Well, you say not there yet. Give us a time scale of yep. when you might be there then. Um, so there are devices out there. I mentioned the famous one, the Apple, uh, Apple Watch, which um, cannot be used for diagnostic purpose. Mm -hmm. um, it wouldn't take much to switch on uh, the technology there. In 2023, there will be consumer devices on the shelf that are true and pure medical grade that doctors could trust the data that's coming from them. 
Okay, so it's upon us. Uh, on the medical device side, uh, look, we all live, and the devices that are out there are are, are pretty good, and they're by manufacturers, uh, world-renowned companies like Medtronic, Boston Scientific, Abbott, uh, great companies, and they're trying to solve this hospital in the, the home conundrum too. Um, and they're pretty much there as well. An awful lot's going to come out to the market in 2023, Ian. It's an exciting place to be. And one of the things that drove that, um, I'll give you a statistic for good measure. Uh, Pre-COVID in North America, uh, the number of uh, people who had used telemedicine to uh, talk to, speak to their physician was 5%. Uh, it settled post-COVID at between 70 and 80%. So you talk about transformation, uh, that's pure transformative of a, an entire industry right there. Um, but when you're talking to your physician, how does that physician know how you actually are other than you say, well, I don't feel so good or I've got a sore head. Imagine if you had a band on your wrist that was sent to you um, and you had it in your house all the time, you slip it on, live in real time, the doctor can see physiologically what's going on in your body, um, not just the heart elements, but heart-derived stress, heart-derived some other things. So that's the opportunity here to really support these new models um, of telemedicine, which I think is here to stay. Um, there's a number of providers here in Europe, um, and that's going to be a huge growth area for the large tech companies who are investing very, very heavily. Uh, I see Google made an announcement of another billion dollar investment just this week into Google Health or Verily, as they call it. Um, well, Alan, thank you very much for this whistle-stop yet fairly in-depth tour of, uh, of how you see the market going. But um, as I ask all of my guests on the podcast, is there anything else that you'd like to add? I, mean, I think you've got, gone for the you've gone saying the 2023 looks a very exciting place, and I think that'd be a natural place to start from. Just give us a few feelers about what you might think, you know, that we have that we haven't foreseen yet that you might think be, will be out there in 23. Okay. Um... The world's largest companies today uh, are the big tech company names that we all know, the Googles, the Amazons, the Microsofts, et cetera. Um, today, we don't get healthcare from them, but tomorrow I think we will be. Uh, we're seeing that at pace in North America. Uh, Amazon have been buying up healthcare facilities. Um, Google are doing the same. Microsoft are doing the same. Uh, that's a very, very unusual concept uh, to consider someone like Google or Amazon providing your healthcare needs for you. Uh, that I think will be moving fast in 2023. I think the medical companies are going to have to respond to that uh, faster than they are right now. And who knows, maybe you see a joining together of those really large uh, tech companies with those really large medical companies that could be on the horizon too it's a really exciting space um, it's a it's a place that there's an awful lot of investment going into right now despite global market issues uh, that we face today uh, and it's just been a fascinating space for us to watch uh, luckily we're building software that could support both of those industries and does today um, so i'm excited by the proposition we look to america a lot this is the last thing I would say, uh, looking ahead. We look to the US a lot on healthcare because they've always been slightly more progressed than other countries traditionally. 
However, I would also look further afield. Um, we're seeing an awful lot of very interesting technology for healthcare coming out of countries like India. Um, and they have different challenges to face in their own country, not just volume, uh, but coming from different uh, positions of healthcare provision um, and remote communities and so on and so forth. So I think we're going to see some interesting players come through next year that don't even exist today. Uh, and I think that makes for a world of excitement. Alan, thank you very much for your time once again. Excellent, Ian. Thank you very much indeed. Indeed.